Good morning. Our second reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Listen now for God's word to you this morning. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So Philip got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, of the queen of Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no way, no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we are here. We are here. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this breath. We thank you for the life and for the gift of scripture, and of baptism, and of community, and of a spirit that transcends all of it. We thank you for your presence within us, we thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for your presence as it holds and sustains and carries us. Remind us, O oh God, that your spirit is holding and sustaining and carrying us. And may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. So as I mentioned last week, for the next couple of months, I'm going to be going through the book of Acts, spending some time as we talk about where we are as a congregation 
in the midst of this curious time in the church, in the midst of this tumultuous time, and I mean larger church in that way, in the midst of this incredibly tumultuous time in the world, it feels helpful to go back to the earliest church, to go back to the start and the time when they weren't yet calling themselves church. They were just gathering together, seeking to follow Jesus, to follow the way that he had laid out for them and to do so faithfully. So last week we talked a little bit about living in community together and being part of one body together. This week I want to share, this is actually one of my favorite stories of scripture. I know I say that a lot and that's fine. I'm going to keep saying it. I talked to a friend the other day and asked, what you, this is a friend who's seminary educated, and I texted, I said, what is your favorite book of the Bible? And she literally just laughed. <laughs> it was like, oh, I guess that's an awkward question to ask. Mine are Ruth and Mark, by the way. But it was funny. Anyway, so as I said, this is a passage from scripture that I wasn't really acquainted with because we didn't really talk about it in church. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch is not one that's in the lectionary. It's not one that you hear very often. And, you know, I can't help but wonder why that could be. Because the Ethiopian eunuch is actually the first person to carry the gospel internationally. The first person who is from another country to be baptized. The first person to carry this message out into the world in a whole new way. Why would we not celebrate that? Why would we not talk about that? Any ideas? I've got some. So the Ethiopian eunuch, in two ways, represents these people who historically had been in contradiction with the ways people knew how to live in right relation with God. I lifted up Isaiah's passage specifically this morning as well, because Isaiah enters into this same conversation. Where in Levitical law, in Leviticus, you have a specific exclusion of foreigners and of eunuchs. And so then Isaiah comes in and has a specific inclusion. Now eunuchs are folks who aren't clearly identified as male or female. In fact, in the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus says there are three ways that someone can become a eunuch. They can be born one, they can be made one, or they can become one for the sake of the kingdom of God. So, what is he talking about? We don't have a whole lot of unpacking, but I want to give some context to why eunuchs and foreigners were seen as contentious or as opposed to the people of God. What is the first commandment? Love the Lord your God. What is the second commandment? No other gods before me. Create no images of other gods. So, Eunuchs were representative of cultic practices of non-Hebrew people and then originally of non-Christian. This is before Christians existed, so people who are not following Jesus. Other cultic religions. Foreigners in the same way. When it talks about Samson's sin at the end, I'm sorry, Solomon's sin, it's not that he had 900 wives, which isn't specifically named, but he allowed those foreign wives to lure him into idol worship allowed those foreigners to lure him into or away from the message that the God of the Israelites was bringing. 
So eunuchs represented both, and eunuchs were part of that cultic worship. They were and have always been seen as folks who can intermingle between these different spaces. They can exist in spaces that transcend those so often rigidly prescribed around gender norms. So eunuchs represented folks who were outside the bounds of that originally. Now, when Isaiah brings it in, he's specifically talking to folks. Now, throughout the exile, when people, when the Israelites were exiled from their land, were taken captive by other people, many of them were forcibly castrated. Sorry, I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but I just want to give some context to this scripture that we have right here in this book of Acts, because I think it can help us understand a little bit about why, where this language comes from. So they were representative of being lured in to worship apart from worship of the one God. Now Isaiah comes in and says, no, 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 that's not actually true. That's not actually true. What God is interested in is faithfulness. What God is interested in is trust. What God is interested in is following. What God is interested in is a willing and joyful heart especially for those who are able to see and to follow God. So when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, now remember Matthew is a gospel that's specifically written or was written really for Jews. So he's speaking to a very specific audience of people who had been isolated from their land years before, stripped away from their land, right? Who had been forcibly castrated. So he's saying, no, 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 there are different ways that this can become that people can all follow. What Jesus is saying is don't allow your ideas about who is and is not in the company of God to deceive you. God is interested in faithfulness. God is interested in following. So then what I love about this story of the Ethiopian eunuch is that he represents both of these things. He represents all of these things which historically people thought could lure them away from God. And yet this is the very first person that the writer of Acts is saying, this is who is going to carry this message out. This person who represents the things which you've decided keep you furthest from God is actually the person who embodies them most powerfully. The person who is excluded because of their ethnic identity and their gender identity is here in Acts, the person who is celebrated as the one to carry the gospel which I think is pretty cool. Now, if you notice in the interaction between Philip and the eunuch, never once does the fact that this person is a eunuch or a foreigner come up. They never discuss it. Philip never says you're able to follow if you're no longer a eunuch. In fact, I would say, if anything, this eunuch is a perfect example of what Jesus says in that third category of those who become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. This is a person who is very clearly inspired. He's already reading Isaiah. How he has a scroll is indicative of the fact that he has access to wealth and power and status where he's coming from. He has nothing, nothing at all to gain from following Jesus. He has nothing to gain in his own social status, I mean, from following Jesus. If anything, I would say following Jesus would pull him away from that. And yet there he is. He's faithful. He says, what's to keep me from being baptized? Now we can assume that because Philip doesn't say, well, if you could not be a foreigner, if you could not be a eunuch, that's what, but Philip doesn't say that. The eunuch sees water 
And Philip says, nothing. Let's baptize you. Philip is miraculously carried away, and the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing, carrying the message to his people. He expresses faithfulness. And I think it is key that this is the first time that it's carried internationally. We meet Leah in a little while. I think it's Leah. Is that right? Yes. Forgive me. I'm having a moment. But, and that's who a lot of times we celebrate because she's the first European woman to carry the message. I'm just going to leave that right there. Now, what does this bring up for all of us? Now, I recognize I say that sitting at the intersection of all of my identities, but I want to talk more about what is it here that's going on for all of us. Because what I love is that if you talk about, and the way that Philip holds, I'm sorry, the way that Isaiah holds this language around, do not be ashamed for what you are. Do not be embarrassed for what you are. Those are actually the parts that God celebrates or lifts up here. Those parts that society says are marginalized. Those parts that society says do not fit with who you are or who you could possibly be called to be as a child of God. God is saying no. God is saying I am actually lifting up those very parts that people say are not compatible with who you are as a child of God. I am going to say those are actually Celebrated if you are here fully. God wants our faithfulness. God wants my faithfulness. God wants your faithfulness. God is not concerned about those identity markers which society puts upon us. Now we can read that very clearly here in this story of someone whose ethnic and gender identity pushed them outside of the margin. We could translate that to our story today. We could talk about other people whose ethnic or gender identity push them outside of the norms of society. We could say, oh wait, maybe we're wrong. Maybe foreigners and eunuchs, maybe those people who we've decided, whoever they may be, are outside of the bounds of God's love, are actually the ones who are inviting us to see a deeper understanding of who we are as created and beloved by God. But I don't want to stop there. Because the, see, the funny thing about society today is that it tells us so often that we should be embarrassed or ashamed of all of these parts of ourselves, yet marginalized and pushed outside. What I love about holding this person here as the first person who carries this message internationally is that it is saying those parts of yourselves which you have decided or society has decided are inappropriate. And I'm, not, and I'm talking about appropriate for certain times. But those parts which society says, nah, those are actually the parts that you get to integrate and to claim into the fullness of who you are. What are the parts of you that you're embarrassed about? What are the parts of you that you don't want other people to know? What are the parts of you that you keep tucked away because you're ashamed, because you're nervous that these parts of you are going to prevent you from living into who God has created you to be. We all have them. We all have parts we're embarrassed of. We all have parts we want to step aside. We all have those parts within us that keep us or make us wonder, are we really beloved with this? Are we really held with this? And what I love about the Ethiopian eunuch representing these parts of identity which are so strongly marginalized, it's that it, likes, it takes it to the nth degree. It's like, no, really, there is nothing that can prevent you 
from who you've been called to be, who God has called to be. Society's labels and names and all of those things they may put upon you are not relevant to God in terms of your belovedness. If anything, God holds those things with tenderness because God recognizes the distinction between the shame and the pain and the horror that this world can so often put upon us and the love that transcends all that is and holds us in that. So what I mean is that those of us who are willing to step out and to say, yes, here I am, claiming the fullness of who I am in the fullness of this body, and yes, I am called, then are intended to be an invitation for all of us to do the same. Bring out the parts of yourself which you say these things are unlovable, and God says, no, I love you fully with all of them. You do not need to be ashamed. We do not need to be ashamed of who we are of any of those parts of who you are. In fact, if anything, what I love is that this is actually the thing, that's where you're going to leave, because you're going to leave with a recognition that you can integrate the fullness of who you are as you follow God. God doesn't care about those labels. God cares about you being hurt. God cares about the pain and the suffering that things may put upon you. But whatever those labels are, maybe you say, there's no way that I could be beloved because I am poor, because I am in recovery, because I am rich, because I've never messed up a day in my life, but I know in my mind that I've been holding it together, trying to do the right thing always, but underneath I'm ashamed that there's something wrong with me. Because I don't want to always have to do the right thing. I don't want to have to always keep myself together. I don't want to always have to provide. I don't want to always make sure that everybody else is okay. I don't want to always have to make sure that I'm holding together this church. It is not your job to do any of those things, to worry, to fear, to carry any of those things. It is our job to be faithful. To say, I don't know where I am, but I'm going to trust with excitement. I'm going to find my place in scripture. I'm going to spend time in here, and I'm going to follow. Are you all with me? It's a lot easier sometimes to learn how to shed those parts of ourselves if society has been really loud about how negatively those things are seen. I can tell you that my experience of being trans, I will offer this, has been the greatest gift of my life in terms of understanding who I am and how deeply I am beloved by God. So much so that then I'll tell other folks, you're loved. And I tell a lot of times people who are not trans that. Because a lot of times we have this idea that we need to still keep holding ourselves together. But here's the thing, you don't have to hold yourself together. You don't have to keep yourself together. You can be a mess. You can be a mess. You can fail royally. You can drop, I have dropped so many balls in my life in so many ways. I have literally fallen down in front of hundreds of people. It, yeah, that literally has happened. I have made a goober of myself in so many ways. I have. I'm divorced, I have all of these things, right? I have failed relationships, all of them. Every single one has been an absolute gift to me because every single one has taught me how deep the grace is that holds me. God doesn't care about that stuff. 
God cares about me. God cares about you. God cares about each and every one of us and our wholeness, which means our belovedness. And the thing is, is that when we carry shame or embarrassment or we try to hide away those parts of ourselves that we have decided make us unlovable, we are clumping up to the possibility of God really moving through that. When we refuse to name these things, when we refuse to step into who we are, when we refuse to live in relationship with our neighbor, we are actually preventing the movement of God from coming through us. We are preventing the movement of God from coming through us. So often I feel like what I really love about spending time with folks who exist on the margins of society is that they're not so worried about being so buttoned up. You sit in a room full, a 12-step program room. I've spent a lot of time in spaces with LGBTQ youth who are at this point of like trying to figure out who they were in life. I've spent a lot of time in spaces with folks who are going through 12, like in 12-step program spaces. Every single one, I love those spaces because they're real. People are there. They've been through the ringer a lot of times. They've been beaten up by life in different ways, and yet they're there, unashamed, unafraid willing to name and to communicate with one another about who they are and where they are. And in that, what's beautiful is that we experience more of the divine. When I learn how to be present with community, when I learn how to be vulnerable with community, the thing is, is that I get to then be loved back within that vulnerability, within that space. But so many of us are cultured not to talk about that. Don't talk about what you're struggling with. Don't talk about what's difficult. Don't talk about what you're afraid of. Don't talk about what you're ashamed of. And yet, why? Because when we don't talk about those things, we end up focusing only on those things. You ever think about how much when you step into a situation, if you're nervous to mess up, and you focus so much on how nervous you are that you're going to mess up, what happens? You mess up. I know I'm going to mess this up. I know I'm not going to do this. I know I'm not. You're not. You're right. You're not. Because that's the narrative. But what happens if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with one another? What happens if we allow ourselves to share what we've struggled with? What happens if we allow ourselves to communicate about who we are, regardless of how somebody may come back, but when we know that we have to express the truth of who we are, is that we get to get love in response to who we are. We get to be loved in that. Some folks won't understand it. That's okay. Because as we follow our integrity, as we follow our authenticity, we find that we're then drawn to other people who value authenticity. Does that make sense? And what I love about this story, again, is that that's actually where God says that is the leading point. That is what is going to take this message out. That is what is actually going to carry the message of love and reconciliation and repair that Jesus is all about. I am here. I am willing. What is to keep me from being baptized? What is to keep me from being included in the fullness of God's love and God's people? Because Acts and this story says absolutely nothing. We're going to take this person who's margins, who exists on the edge of these marginalized identities, the most marginalized. That's our leader. That's the way forward. So what do we learn from that? 
I would say the start is that it is a gift that we can give ourselves to be honest about who we are and where we are. It is a gift to say, I don't know how to hold this part of myself. It is a gift to say, I don't know what to do with who I am or where I am or what I'm being called to do. It is a gift to share those things with community, to be known and to be seen in the fullness of who we are. Because when we allow ourselves to be honest about that, to show up fully as who we are, then we are clear. We're not tightening against trying to hide something, trying to prevent something, but we're relaxed and we let the movement of that spirit come through. The more we fight against it, the less it can move. The more we fight against the spirit of God trying to move in and through us, the less it can do so. So let yourself breathe. Let yourself take a breath. Let yourself relax into the fullness of this truth that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not even you. Because I know for me, so often, when I'm going to say there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, I am typically the thing preventing me most fully from living into that. So as you move forward, hold that. As you go through these days of continuous tumult, the crisis is not going to subside, right? We've got some chaotic times ahead of us. And I believe that the best way we can be oriented and present as we move through that is being honest about who we are. Sharing that with community. And trusting more than anything that God sees us and loves us in the fullness of that. So that we can move forward faithfully. So we can know that we are celebrating. So that we can feel the abundance of God in and through everything. Every day. Amen.